Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Welcome to our latest episode of Lessons in Resilience. I'm so excited today I'm having Thejal Yoga on for a chat around reclaiming wellness spaces. So as a South Asian woman, I'm also someone who has gone through yoga teacher training and had my own experiences in the yoga space and just often found that it wasn't quite for me. And when I came across Thejal's page and her work, I was taken because it felt like she was giving a voice to something that I've often experienced when it comes to just feeling out um, or not quite fitting in in white wellness spaces, but still wanting to claim um, space for myself and my well-being in a practice that is rooted in part of my culture. And so seeing Thejal do that uh, has been really inspiring to me and I thought it would be a really interesting conversation for us to have as many of us are going through, maybe almost hitting burnout, feeling like we are overwhelmed and not sure how to step back into being well in our bodies and being well with ourselves. Hello, how are you? I'm here. (laughs) Yay! Instagram has been a little glitchy these days with lives, so I'm so glad that we are live and that we get to have this conversation, and thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you, Komal, and just, like, get to be in space with you. I've been looking at your lessons in resilience, and I love how broad the conversations have been so yeah it's great we can talk about yoga all day and like 100 times a day <laughs> but there's also so many other interesting ways to look at resilience so thank you absolutely absolutely and also how we enable spaces to become more resilient because what i think we see is that the when we when yoga was brought to the west it was there was a very different sense of things when it came to how yoga came to be, how it was developed, what its usage was in India specifically, how folks were engaging with it. And there's a rigidity that has almost come with it as it's entered white specific spaces. And that rigidity has almost made it more fragile. And like we're less able to be as, you know, they're trying, we're trying to make our bodies flexible and strong, but the practice itself or the industry around the practice is fragile in, in us bringing this critical lens to it. So yeah. when you see your role as both a yoga teacher and a social justice, um, someone who is bringing the lens of social justice to the space, how do you find that that is like trying to create a more resilient space in the yoga world? That is such a great way to pose this question than to just be like, why do you do what you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, resiliency is huge in that I teach yoga in a way that is not of the mainstream. And I'm really proud of that fact only because I, I've lived it enough to know that it's been, it's been a challenge until I kind of like got here, you know, and then realized that um, there's so many people that are craving spaces that do more than just teach movement. And there are so many people that are looking to understand yoga in terms of philosophy, in terms of eight limbs. Um, the way I like to teach yoga that incorporates um, yoga and social justice or yoga through the lens of social justice is that I oftentimes talk about the four relationships that we can cultivate within yoga. Um, and so 
it's not just about your time specifically on the mat or your time specifically in a meditation practice, the 30 or 60 minutes that you might be practicing yoga, quote unquote. So yes, I like to quote um, Nayira Wahid all the time on this one, one beautiful poem she wrote, which is, um, there is you and you, this is a relationship. This is the most important relationship, home. And so one of the most important relationships that I like to talk about in yoga is the relationship that you have to yourself and to your own mind, body, and spirit. And how that can be like a pretty transcendent relationship when you start to tap into it. But there are three other ways I like to talk about yoga and relationships, which is you and your relationship to your loved ones. And how is that a reciprocal relationship? How is there um, offer as much as receive? in those relationships. And then the other two relationships are your relationship to your community, which is very much social justice centered. Um, the same idea, if you extend your hand to your community, how then is your community um, accepting your health or how are you further uh, empowering your community rather than just taking from what they have to offer. And then the fourth um, kind of major relationship that we talk about is your relationship to the environment and the way you can um, nurture the land and nurture your relationship to everything outside of you and how I, I you know Adrian Marie Brown talks about biomimicry and like how do you understand that connection with what's going on outside of you and outside of self and um, getting a lot more introspective about this external environment that you're in and how does the sunrise affect you? How does the sunset affect you? And very much pulling into your practice elements of what's going on around you and, and understanding that you're not alone and also that you rely on all these systems around you to be, you know, the shining, brilliant self that you are. So that's like one thing that I did not experience much of in the studio culture that I interacted with. But it was very much something that I grew up with spiritually and I know you were, uh, before I joined, you were talking about your relationship to yoga as well. And you'll find that a lot of South Asian people and South Asian community um, talk about yoga in a way that is so different than what we see in studio culture and mm -hmm. in mainstream um, wellness culture. And bridging the gap between the two conversations has become um, the work that I do in all of the spaces that I work in. So that's, that's a huge, I think, um, differentiator, talking about the multiple relationships that we can cultivate within yoga. And then um, you, you might notice I launched this podcast last year, which talks about exposing the issues within yoga, which many people don't know what to do with that statement. Like, what are the issues with yoga? What are you talking about? I love the titling, like just how you call it out, like gurus yeah. killed yoga. White women killed yoga. Like these are different. Yeah, and it's like facts. Like there's so much truth. Like obviously every episode is just truth bomb after truth bomb. But it's so fascinating to look at. And you had just posted on your feed recently too that there's been some backlash with that. Right. Um, so how do you reconcile like this truth speaking yeah. in a space that isn't ready to hear it necessarily? And that can actually, for being a spiritually based space, when we look at yoga is actually very reactive and very um, vulnerable in that way. Uh, it's so not true. Rooted it's in so its own fragile, truth. like you were saying. It's so fragile. 
like the rigidity of what we should be teaching and should be talking about makes the whole situation so fragile like it could topple at any moment mm. like it's this yoga house of cards that like shh, hush don't talk about issues don't talk about anything critical don't like be exacting about what you really mean you know mm. kind of be really soft and feathery and we talk about this all the time spiritual bypassing yes and, and not just bypassing like someone's actual honest experience whether they're feeling good or unwell but also being toxic about spirituality so just kind of pushing at people that you can feel better if you just try mm. you can feel better if you just change your situation and ignoring all the other social and um really just the social factors that make up our experience as individuals and as individuals with different racial ethnic identities just ignoring that completely to say just stick to this practice your mantra should be your your mantra should be love and light <laughs> and then you'll be good and, and it's and your like, fault that these negative thoughts are in your mind and this is like it's it just is so like you said the toxic positivity and the performative aspect of it it is like let's t pick and choose what is good about this yeah um but when i think of in sikhism you know when we look at the way the gurus taught through the Guru Granth Sahib, or when we were looking at, at the, the spiritual practice that we hold, often a lot of um, Sikh people in the early days, the reason we're known as warriors is because you had to prime your mind, not just for sitting peacefully and, you know, peace and love in the world, but to fight for justice, yeah. to be up in arms like folks are in India right now, in Punjab, like the farmers are taking to the streets, because this is not um, peaceful work necessarily, but that cultivating that inner power and that that relationship to ourselves is critical so that we can do this truth speaking yeah. and consistent social activism but when i look and i think that's why i deferred out like i i did my 200 hour teacher training you know i half a based um i don't even remember right now it won't come to me forest yoga inspired like practice yeah. <laughs> but i just like felt so othered I couldn't root yeah. into the space regardless of how folks were like wow you're intent you're like you're so good as a teacher you hold such good space but yeah. there was just this othering and yeah. I feel like now we're seeing more communities coming up and more folks coming up and talking it out but what has it been like for you to reclaim space through your practice and yeah. what has the response been from those in your community who feel held through it yeah so for, for me personally, what it's been like, it's been very liberating to, to move from a career in um, corporate finance that I liked. I worked a lot. And then I decided I see my value in New York City as a single person being in how many hours I can work. I see mm. that. And I see it being really challenging to put a stop to it without having something to really be accountable for. So where, where do my other interests lie? And for me, yoga was always a spiritual practice and part of my cultural upbringing. And so I thought, let me explore what the yoga is in the studio in the Western wellness world. And I'd love to commit. So I took a five month, um, 200 hour teacher training, which took me out of the office a little bit. I mean, not even a lot. If I told you the <laughs> specifics, it was like a couple hours and I felt so guilty for that. But, um, um, at the end of that five months, I realized that I really love leaning into um, my leadership skills, being able to manage situations and 
teaching something, teaching content that really spoke to me. So I could do that in finance and be a finance manager just fine. But, you know, spreadsheets are not really fueling my soul. <laughs> so I decided, let me kind of take a leap and quit this day job. Um, go get more training, go to travel, which is something I really love and um, be in India a couple months, do a religious pilgrimage, um, practice and celebrate Diwali and Navratri in India and then stay in an ashram for four weeks in Kerala. And then when I came back at the end of 2014, I decided to figure out what it meant to be a yoga teacher. And one, I didn't really know that I was in culture shock after after leaving an ashram for four weeks and then flying, you know, the into nervous system. Brooklyn in the winter. Oh my gosh, like even just coming out of silence and the drive, like having to drive a motor vehicle like home after like yeah. a week of silence, like my nervous system is fried. So I, I feel you with that. Yeah, right. And they call Kerala God's country and it's just mm. like beautiful and lush and, and gorgeous and in the most wonderful extreme way and then I get on a flight and I get to Brooklyn and I'm like oh yeah winter oh my god the city oh my god and then um but then what happened in 2015 was just this chain of events and they were they were related and unrelated and all these things happening in tandem which for the next like three three and a half years I was essentially getting my grounding and my footing and how I wanted to teach and where and what and who I wanted to interact with through my teaching. And that was pretty grueling. And I talk a lot about that through the podcast experience. But what I found is that the thing that I loved and kind of gave up this like lucrative career for, um, I was feeling disenfranchised from, enfranchised from. So I started to really consider like what would make the yoga space in general more comfortable for me. And I realized it was this... Um, it was realized that I needed to connect more with um, South Asian community that was also navigating yoga and wellness. And I needed to um, be in community with people that supported that mission. Um, but I also realized that I needed to talk about what was wrong, what was going wrong. And it was no longer enough to talk about it with one friend and colleague. Mm. So I, I kind of pitched this idea of a podcast to um, Jaisal, and she was like, you're kind of crazy. Like, what's a podcast? And I was like, I don't know. But I really <laughs> think we should do this thing. It took us a year and a half to do that thing. And then came out Yoga is Dead. But at the same time, I also realized this need for community was so great um, that I created ABCD Yogi, this online interactive community. So and that's how started... I actually came across your, your work was through ABCD Yogi. Yeah, I really think you should take over sometime. Oh, so I would fantastic. love to. Yeah, that would be great. And so we host takeovers from uh, the South Asian community of yoga and mindfulness teachers every five days. And it's a very global network of people now. What started as me kind of cold calling and begging a few friends, like, could you do this thing for me? Um, now has a mind of its own. And so every five days, we have a calendar of takeovers. Now, on top of that, we're hosting events, workshops, and panels that uplift and kind of up-level the conversation within the South Asian community of these lesser spoken about topics of mar more marginalized intersectional identities through um, within South Asian diaspora and in South Asia. So that's just been this amazing progression of me, like looking for people to people looking for each other, which is mm. wonderful. 
and and I felt really affirmed in both projects as well as um, kind of <laughs> I've been using this word this phrase quiet terror a lot mm, just like feeling like a little this. bit of quiet terror because I also taught in New York City in um, group vinyasa classes at a studio so as the podcast came out more and more people were hearing about it and it felt really safe that it was people that weren't in New York City that mm. were just Instagram people uh, and then more and more people in New York City were finding out about it and marrying this idea of their yoga teacher with this other outspoken individual, because you can only learn so much about someone through a 60 minute, you know, yoga class where they're just teaching and offering some guidance. Uh, but then when you sit back and you hear them talking for 60 minutes straight about white women killing yoga, you, you, <laughs> you might feel some cognitive dissonance. So I was yeah. feeling just the kind of person I am, I kind of took that all in. And I was mm. feeling like a little bit watchful, a little bit weary. And then I'm so glad I was in the studio that I was at because the culture really affirmed what I was already talking about. Mm. And the community has really affirmed that. And then in March, pandemic, and everything came crashing down in terms of having private clients, in terms of working in a studio. And so my instinct, which a lot of yoga teachers' instinct was, was to find a way to keep teaching online. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done since um, the end of March is kind of open and create a Thajal yoga space online where we offer live Zoom classes, on-demand pre-recorded classes, um, programs like um, Pace on Your Own Chakra Meditation Series. We'll be launching a Perfection of Yoga series and um, other kinds of email and newsletter education like how to speak up against racism in your education-based organization, in your yoga studio, if you're a teacher or a business owner. Um, and that has shifted from me starting that initiative to building a team around it, which is kind of like a dream come true because it holds me accountable. It really mm -hmm. helps me with my leadership style. And I joke a lot about 2020 being the year of applied practice. Like wow. every lesson I've ever learned every theoretical bit of information that I've ever spoken about or, you know, read in a book, I've had to implement. Facts. Yes. Right? Mic drop facts. <laughs> and, then, and, not, and, and then, and then realize you're still in the, a certain cycle with it, you know, when you're not actually able to apply in certain areas. I, I'm feeling that a lot right now. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I got my birth chart read on Saturday because my birthday oh. was Sunday. And oh, happy belated. Thank you. I'm 38. I live with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 2020. Welcome um, to 2020. I had to leave we live with up Mitch's dad. Years. We live with my father-in-law, so I feel you. We're we're also in that life. Yeah. <laughs> well, from what I can tell, it's like a very loving environment. So I'm very happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Our one rule around the house is do whatever the f you want. So it's the perfect the perfect house setting. Oh my so God. you guys must all be like. <laughs> fire signs or something <laughs> but that, but that's the, yeah anyways say. we'll get into that i got um my birth chart reading done and it was so affirming because it just kind of in a in a year of such tumult where you have to where you end up questioning so much about yourself and your path and your relationships and your love and so much has happened for all of us um 
your position in society, your privilege, your ability to be privileged, um, how that shows up in the world. So much has been called into light and into question. Um, I felt really affirmed in the identity that was, was interpreted for me on the chart, which is eternal student, teacher, mm. and philosopher. Yes. I was like, okay. Wow. Yes. That it feels so right. And isn't that beautiful when you do get that affirmation from whether it is a reading or whatever might come up of like, I'm on the correct trajectory. This is the space I'm meant for. Yeah. Um, especially when ego can get in the way and try and convince us otherwise that perhaps yes. we're not. And, um, that, I, and that damn like um, imposter syndrome. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Oh, my goodness. It's also like I just have pink um, cotton candy clouds, which I never happens here, just floating across. So that feels like a beautiful sign for us right now, this kind of pink. Um, but I, I feel affirmed in that. I, I did my human design chart recently, and I'm a projector, which is also someone who is like a teacher. You have to be invited into folks' lives in order to share new ways of living with them. And student and learning is a huge part of it, too. Yeah. And that's why I love being a student so much. I'm back at school right now at UPenn and, like, love educating and sharing around different strategies and things that I've learned, which is why I'm teaching people how to year plan now, which is such, like, a strange... People are like, you're such a nerd. Like, why planning? <laughs> but I truly believe it's something that anchors us so much. So as you are looking forward and, you know, making sense of and, and trying to make coherence out of this last this last year, how are you looking forward at 2021? And how are you making sense of what's ahead? Yeah, um, I'm leaning in a lot more to what is. Mm. I'm, I'm trying to see what is happening, what opportunities are coming up as um, pathways to continue doing the work. Whereas, and I really accepted that in the like concentric circles of my life, I'm in constant state of discomfort because I'm in the growth zone mm. because everything I'm trying to do and achieve and initiate um, is gross for me and I think when I when I remember that I remember that I can be really human in that experience so I can make mistakes and I can show up as a fallible human being um, and I, I, I mentioned that I'm also working with a team now on a lot of the work that I do, which I think has been um, a really great lesson of 2020, which is that I never am the type was the type of person that thought like, I have to do this alone. It was more that um, maybe I'm not the person to invite people in to work on projects that I own. Mm. Like maybe that's not my place. Mm. That's a place that other people can excel and hold, hold like the capacity for. And then when I really was pushed into this space, um, specifically after September, and honestly moving home, which gave me so much safety and mm. allowed me to vision and create a lot more, um, I realized, no, this feels like exactly like the right next thing for me to be doing. So in terms wow. of looking forward and this arbitrary shift of, you know, 2020 into 21, it still feels like a big opening, even though nothing's going to change. <laughs> um, as, as we look forward, um, allowing myself to think bigger, not preventing myself with any kind of 
or um, unnecessary doubt, like an, an unnecessary concern. Like when you really think about it, we've been through a lot as a collective and we've pushed through resiliently as a collective. Like we're here, we're communicating, we're talking across states and we're still having um, really uplifting conversations. So I think that in, its, in and of itself is a way to remember that you can still think bigger and do bigger and you can create um, spaces for people to feel safety and at, and at ease. Mm. So that's kind of like the underlying driver for thinking about growing the Theja Yoga space, for expanding the type of programming we do with ABCD Yogi and um, talking about issues that make people feel marginalized within their intersectional identities. That's also the underlying driver for the Yoga is Dead initiatives that we're working on not just a podcast anymore. We used to say we're a revolutionary podcast. Now we say we're a revolutionary team that has launched a podcast. And, you know, we've kind of like opened and expanded our container of what's possible. So that's something I hope that um, everyone can find some safety and some like clarity on moving forward. Because um, one thing I would, I would say to anyone listening is just, open your mouth and take up space. Mm. Like we need you. Yes. We need your voice. We need what you have to offer. And although it can feel insurmountable right now for some folks where it just doesn't feel like we can comprehend or make sense. And therefore, why would we project forward or hope for more or dream for better? Um, we have to like, it's that I say hope is the currency of survival. Mm. And for us to survive this and rise through this, it is a hundred percent. Um, we have to lean into hope. Yeah. And something that you started with that I want us to kind of use as, as our closing is you talk about in the four aspects that you shared around the relationships in yoga. Um, you talk about your relationship with yourself. And I'm finding actually in my own life right now that it's so hard to tune out the external world and to like find that inner root back in. And what do you often offer folks or your students or yourself as your guide or like your steps, yeah. your advice to reconnect and go inward? So I would, I would advise people a couple different things. One, take a moment to sit and think about where in your life and when in your life you really felt aligned and truly happy. Mm. And then rather than focusing on the act that you were doing, what was the process? So if you really enjoyed doodling when you were younger, um, it's not that you should go be an artist and an illustrator, but it's the, it's the process. Like, how did you think about doodling? And, you know, how did you pick what you wanted to doodle? And this process of implementation, how can you bring that joy of that process back into your life? Mm. So something that I've noticed for myself is that I really enjoy my day. And it's kind of wild to say that, but the meetings I have, the people I engage with, they're like little parties for me. So mm -hmm. I feel really grateful for that. Um, so I would look back and find, you know, try it and pick up the processes that you found a lot of joy in, you know, and then see how you can implement those processes back into your life. Another thing that I think prevents people from taking those moments with self is not knowing the right approach, not knowing how to do it, or feeling like they're failing. So if I were to say to someone, why don't you meditate a couple minutes every day? 
they might say, well, there's no way I can clear my mind, or I have a lot of anxiety, or I don't sit still, or I have no quiet spaces. Like there's a list of things, right? And so, of course, the next approach is we'll start small, whatever it is you want to start. And then remember that, like you said, um, perfection and achievement isn't really the goal. Mm. It's essentially coming back to yourself, coming back to trying, encouraging yourself to return to whatever it is you want to be doing. And there's a quote from the Gita that I paraphrase and the translation that I paraphrase is that on this path, uh, no gain is ever reversed and no effort is ever wasted. Only a little of this work can undo great suffering and harm. And to me, that's a reminder that you might really want to be disciplined in what you're doing. You might really want to be consistent and form a daily practice. But the reality is we're going to be pulled away either because we fall off ourselves, someone needs us and we want to go to them, or the situation just changes dramatically and we're just not in the same place doing the same routine anymore. But the reminder that I have is that the yoga practice and the yoga teachings tell us that it's okay. It's okay to fall off and it's okay to just come back. It's okay to fall off and remember that you want to come back. Even a little of this work can undo great suffering and harm. Mm, that's so powerful and such a beautiful reminder right now for so many of us because I feel like this season specifically, more than other years, of course, it's like we're all in a pressure cooker. And it's like we can't have the foresight to see necessarily beyond the end of this month, perhaps. And so pressure's on. But in fact, it is perfect time to breathe and create space. And even if we don't, as you shared, it's still enough. And we're yeah. still doing enough. Yeah. So thank you so much for this conversation. It was beautiful. It was so necessary. I needed it. My heart is very full. And I'm so happy we got to connect yes. in this way. I tend to make new friends by interviewing them. <laughs> Well, we're definitely besties now, so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I can't wait to, you know, follow up on, on things with ABCD Yogi and to keep listening to the show and maybe jump in on, on a class because I do know that I, I'm figuring out how to decolonize my yoga practice and how to come back to it. And yeah. I haven't quite found it yet, but you yeah, are I'll showing me that there's a way. Invites, for sure. Amazing. I love yeah. this. Okay. Have the best night and we'll see you later. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much, Gomo. Bye. Bye. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this latest episode of Lessons in Resilience with Dajal Yoga. It was so great. We talked about going through how we reclaim yoga as South Asian folks, um, our personal experiences and journey with yoga, how the rigidity of the industry actually prevents us from leaning into the power of yoga, which is building resiliency, showing us flexibility, allowing us to not only be flexible in our bodies, but in our spirits and how we engage with the world. Um, and then sharing about our own personal philosophies when it comes to reconnecting to self. And Thajal left us with that beautiful quote from the Gita, which I, will, which I will get from her and share on a post when we share this episode later. But thank you everyone for tuning in. I want to remind you tomorrow at midnight is your last chance to join me for my virtual year planning retreat happening this Saturday and Sunday um, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. with a little social with all of your other fellow planners happening on Saturday night. This is my way to create space for 2021. This is my way for reclaiming space in my mind and my body and my spirit during this very busy season. And it's what I want to offer all of y'all to make sure that you can do the same. 
So if you're interested in joining us for your best year, head to gomel.com slash YBY or head to my link in bio. I would love to see you in class this weekend. And we also opened registration for our January 30th and 31st dates as well. My goal is to help you go from feeling overwhelmed, a little discombobulated, or just as though you need to brain dump everything out and give you a safe container to do that, to root into yourself, to root into what you need most, and to make sense of what's ahead, and to be supported by community when you do that. Because outside of the, the year planning retreat itself, you're going to get three additional coaching calls with me next year and the whole community so that we stay on track for 2021 and pivot when necessary. Because if a global pandemic has taught us anything is that things are so unexpected right now. So I appreciate all of you. I hope you have a beautiful night. And tomorrow I have two lives, one with Mithika Chopra early in the day at noon. We're going to be talking all about creating the communities that we need right now. And then again, I'm going to go live at 6 p.m. on my own to help you walk through your year planning strategy, goal setting, research, so that you can start 2021 and make it your best year. I'll see you all on the other side. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Gomal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S or the show at LessonsLearned.co. And if you have an idea of a lesson that we should dive into on the show, then slide into our DMs and submit there or on the website along with any guests you think I should interview and talk all of the things with. As always, I hope that you make some time for you this week and reflect on the lessons you're learning or have learned and take some time to celebrate all the incredible that is you. Until next time, guys. Bye.